All right, we're going to continue our series on parenting today, um, raising children's God, raising children God's way. As we just consider where we have been already, um, we're continuing Paul's instructions for the family, and specifically continuing the subject of parenting, obviously. But uh, last week we expanded on what the on the phrase that Paul used in both Colossians three and Ephesians six. And we see here up on the slide, Colossians 3.21 and Ephesians 6.4, do not provoke your children. Now, there's the term fathers there, but that was representative. He's the leader of the family. It was representative of parents, okay? And so that's commonly understood that way. So, excuse me, fathers not to provoke your children. Um, uh, The shared truth between these two verses is that we are not to provoke or frustrate our kids. Uh, Colossians 3.21 gives us a little bit more to that. It says, lest they become discouraged. And that that word there is, again, an area of frustration. That frustration could lead to a crushed spirit. And that's what we talked about last week. And there's several ways that that can take place. And then Ephesians 6.4, fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. And uh, that, obviously, Frustration can lead to an angry reaction from our kids. Um, we also, and, and by the way, as we're talking about this, you know, we, we cautioned, you know, children have to have the right perspective on things and all those types of things. We can't get into all we talked about last week, but we explored a number of ways that parents can frustrate their kids. And so here's some what we called modes of frustration. First one was just intentional irritation where a parent just has a way about them where they're just tweaking their kids, right? The old, like, you know, stick in the cage type of idea. It's not, it's not good. Burdensome rules. Again, not standards to live by, but, but rules that kind of frustrate, that, that, that crush or, or different things like that. Um, a set of standards that's, that goes well beyond what maybe should be scriptural. Unfounded criticism. Um, some things that that uh, maybe we should not dwell on but do or we want them to be how we want them to be as opposed to really who they are uh, i'm not saying kids just do what you please that's again not what we're talking about we're talking about again unfounded criticism uh, kids need to be corrected etc we've talked about that in previous weeks and then unpredictable tendencies um, sometimes uh, parents can can uh, just bring about, um, act in a way that, that the kids can't quite pick up on all the time. Inconsistent discipline. Uh, is this right or wrong? Is it wrong or really, really wrong? You know, <laughs> and, and, and how a parent responds in a disciplinary fashion. Erratic temperament. Um, we're happy one day, we're sad the next day, we're frustrated the next day, and every time it's a very different person that they're dealing with. Uh, again, that can crush a spirit, that can frustrate a child and, and, and make them angry. And then we talked at, in depth about favoritism. Uh, if you happen to be raising an only child, there you go. It's not a problem. But favorites can be played even outside of the home, right? So we've got to be, be careful of that. So those are the different things that we looked at when it came to these modes of frustration. But today... We move from what not to do in parenting to what parents are supposed to do. 
And our basis for that is actually out of Ephesians 6. Now, we're, we're still in the Colossians series. Uh, we're basing this out of, uh, you know, Colossians 3. But we've used uh, Ephesians several times as a uh, cross-reference, and we're doing that today, where it says here that you are to bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so that's what we're going to be examining today. So the first question is, what does, what, what does it mean, sorry, to train your child? What does it mean to train your child? So to answer this question, we need to begin by considering the word and how it's used in the context. The meaning of train is discipline. Now, discipline at its core means a standard or rule, okay? Um, this can mean anything from a yardstick to a course of study, a yardstick is a simple discipline or standard of measurement. A yard is a yard, three inches is three inches, and so on, right? You lay your yardstick out, you measure something by it, that's a discipline. Now, on a little different uh, spectrum there, as a matter of fact, just to, just to consider that for a minute, we often say someone doesn't what? Measure up, or they do measure up. So we even... Not that we pull out the, 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 the ruler, you know what I mean? But, but at the same time, you know, we, we, we talk about it as a standard, okay? We call a course of study an academic discipline. It's called that because one is instructed in and measured by a standardized block of information. At some point, you're going to get sections of that information. You will eventually get the full uh, set of information that you need. And how you measure that determines whether or not you graduate, right? Usually you know before graduation day, right? <laughs> Usually you know if you're going to measure up to that standard of discipline uh, freshman, sophomore year, not so much junior, senior year. So let's say you're going into a nursing program, right? And you're like, ew, blood. Well, <laughs> you don't measure up, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, you know, there's, there's, there's different several different things we could talk about there. Um, you, you want to be an engineer. Well, at some point, math says, no, you're not going to be. You can't measure up to that standard. Now, the opposite is true, that when you do measure up, right, you get your diploma. And if you continue to measure up, you probably get a decent job, right? So as we think about this, a parent is to instruct their child to abide by a standard as well as measure them by that standard. Isn't that right? That's really what parenting is. In some contexts, this word is used exclusively for correction. I'm talking about context in the scriptures. But here it's used in a broader sense. When we think of discipline, we often think of its negative side. Correction, punishment, shame, a loss of privileges. And we need to understand correction is necessary. It's a necessary part uh, of, um, of being trained. We need it. Um, but given this broader and more comprehensive usage, part of parents' discipline or training of the standard that they are to be training their kids in should be positive. It's easy to do the negative, okay? Okay. Here's the standard, here's the measurement, here's the discipline that I'm going by. Uh, uh, nope, nope, not measuring up, right? 
It's not that we don't do that. That's important. But the positive part is important as well. When the child meets or exceeds the standard taught to them, there should be pos- they should be positively affirmed or rewarded. This is part of the broader discipline or training that we're talking about. So when we're talking particularly about you know, stages of life of a child, when they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're going to receive what? They're going to receive more responsibility or they might get a little bit of reward. And, you know, I mean, some parents, it's like, hey, if you get a certain, you know, grade point average or, you know, you get su- su- such marks on your, on your report card, you know, we're going to give you a little reward for that. Okay, that's one area of doing that. Maybe for a teenager, it's like, hey, you have shown yourself responsible, right? You've lived up to the standard that we've asked you to do. You can stay out a little bit later or you can go do this or we're going to let you do that. You know, we're going to give you more responsibility, okay? So there's different ways that that can play out. So in saying all that, I have a question for you. Have we educated our children sufficiently to keep the standard that we expect? Asking from another angle, are we holding them to a standard that we haven't trained them to keep? I'll give you an example. It's one example of many that we could discuss, but this is one example. I expect you to keep your room cleaned up. Now, chances are that is a rule or has been a rule in everyone's home here, right? I doubt that most parents say, I want your room to be as sloppy as possible, (laughs) right? That's not what we say. So then we have to ask the question, and again, we're talking about different ages here, okay? I get that, but I'm just using this as an example. What is clean? It's actually a legitimate question. The standard can vary wildly between parent and child and even between siblings, right? What's clean? Now you might respond with, they should know that. But that doesn't really cut it until they are trained in what you expect, including even some ongoing training. So let me ask you this. What's the difference between expecting our kids to simply know what we expect and being given a task at work with no instructions, no parameters, or no expectations. There's really no difference, right? I'm going to pick on Jim for just a minute here, but, you know, you got a load in that truck there, go deliver it. <laughs> right? <laughs> How, where, why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just deliver it. <laughs> Jim's having like these <laughs> cold sweats. No, don't don't do that to me, right? Well, you know, it's kind of the same, right? Now, parents, I know you're busy, and you might be thinking to yourself, I don't have time to do that all the time. Well, let, let me encourage you with this: whether you make time or not, this is God's direct instructions to you as parents. This is what he's telling you to do. Train your kids. We must invest the time to properly train. Are there some things that are a higher priority than cleaning the room? Yes. But maybe not quite as high of a frustration level for you. All right? So I would encourage you to consider how much time 
Clear training and expectations will actually save you down the road. Plus, we do have a clear standard established. That we would have a clear standard established for our kids. In other words, instead of just, hey, keep your room clean, right? Keep your room clean. This is what I mean by it. I'm going to show you how it's done. And I'm going to let you know along the way, you know, what. And by the way, am I assuming that no one ever does this? No, I'm just using it as an example, all right? Now, young people, a little bit of warning to you. It's not right to play your parents on both ends of this. And I'll explain what I mean by both ends. You can't say, I don't know what you want me to do on one end of this, but then on the other end say, you're being too strict. See, that's kind of playing both sides of this. So you need to follow your parents' instructions. We've already talked about that. So let's move on. Let's move on to the next term here. Next term is admonish. So what does it mean to admonish your children? The word admonish means to call attention to or to warn. And then that's, that's its more specific uh, definition. Just like the term train, admonish is used in a very broad sense in this context. It's a compound word made up of mind and commit or settle. So here's an expanded paraphrase of this section of, of, of this verse using this idea. Parents, settle the things of the Lord in the minds of your children. The primary idea of, of settle is to sink in or to be determined. Now let me insert here that children will learn from parents, um, learn from their parents in two different ways. And you already know these, but it's good for us to remember. Children are going to learn from what they observe, right? Children are also going to learn by direct instruction. Ideally, children will observe their parents consistently living out what they are teaching them, right? That's the ideal. Parents, you're going to be inconsistent. I get that. But again, we don't want to fall back into that very inconsistent life to where we're frustrating our kids, right? It cannot be do as I say, not as I do. Now, children are, are to be taught what is of the Lord, but we'll get to that in just a couple of minutes, all right? But let's continue with this idea of admonish. Admonish or instruct also has to do with parents reinforcing their teaching by reminding and warning their children. So we have a standard set. We are, we are establishing that in our children's minds because we all need repetition. We all need experience, especially when we're younger and we're moving up into you know, adulthood. Those things need to take place. It's good. We're going to need some reminders. We're also going to need to take that instruction and use it as a warning. Okay? That's all part of this idea of admonish. Now, some, not necessarily one here, and I mean that sincerely, but some might say, well, you're just indoctrinating your kids. Shouldn't your child be allowed to form their standard and beliefs on their own? Folks, I'm going to be very blunt when I say this. That's worth about as much as what you scrape off your shoes when you walk through a cow pasture. 
I'm just telling you. It's like saying you have no right to impose what you think and believe onto your kids. It's society's job or the school's job or anybody's job but yours. And my answer to that is absolutely not. That goes directly against God's instruction to parents. This worldly philosophy right now is rampant. And it simply guilts or even forces parents into following someone else's indoctrination of their children. Here's the point. Someone's going to indoctrinate your kids. Children? And you know what? I've defined that before. That's anybody who's living in your parents' house still. Children? Please, listen to your parents. That doesn't mean that you can be disrespectful at school. doesn't mean that you can, you can kind of you know, be a jerk to those around you who might think and believe differently. But one, tra- um, not translation, but uh, interpretation of uh, Romans 12 is, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Right? You've probably heard that before. So the things that a parent is to both train their children in and settle in their minds are of the Lord. So then we have to ask ourselves, okay, how can our parenting be of the Lord? You know, what what does that mean? Of the Lord simply means from or having to do with the Lord. That's it. So God and his word are the sources of our parenting, which also means that these are the standard for our parenting. Now, I'm going to tell you that we can take this too narrowly and we can think to ourselves that this is this of the Lord is only covering doctrine and it's purely spiritual matters. And I understand everything is a spiritual matter, but you know what I mean when I say that. There are two main scriptural sources that would direct us to a more holistic interpretation of of the Lord. The first one is the book of Proverbs. All right. Just so you know, we're not going to cover the entire book of Proverbs this morning. This is, this is a, a mini-series within a study of Colossians. I'm not trying to give you a parenting class, so to speak, right? Nothing wrong with that. That's just not our purpose right now. So let's talk about this for just a minute. Primarily, in Proverbs, Solomon gives his son instruction. There's other Proverbs from other people, but primarily, it's Solomon. This rich and practical book definitely speaks to spiritual things. We, we know that just by remembering what Proverbs is all about. But Solomon also teaches extensively about a wide range of moral and practical subjects. Now, considering all of those things, here's some areas that, frankly, I just listed that came to mind. There's more. Uh, setting priorities. Minding our own business. Very practical thing to know. Avoiding foolishness and striving after wisdom. Choosing good friends. Knowing the Lord. Establishing good morals and character. Guarding your words. Being wise with your money. And many, many more things. So if Solomon is saying, hey, this is what you need to know. That's a good guide for us, right? As parents. The second indicator that of the Lord should be broadly interpreted is God's direct command in Deuteronomy. Now, we read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Deuteronomy 6-7 is very similar to the passage that we're going to be looking at in Deuteronomy 11. 
verses 18 through 19 say this, and it just kind of flips the idea, but I want you to hear this again. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. This is directly to the adults, all right? Not that the kids didn't hear it, but this is directly to the adults. Then it goes on. You shall teach them all these things, all these things that I have, that I have spoken to you. You shall teach them to your children. Speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So just a few thoughts regarding this passage and and, and what we're talking about here. Knowing God and putting him first was, of course, the primary teaching of the law. But there was much more to that. If you remember, we even had in that passage, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? It also contained, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, or even desire what isn't yours. Help the poor and defenseless. Honor your parents. Deal justly in legal, business, and private matters. And again, on and on we could go in relation to what the law said. So here's the other question as you, as you are looking at this passage right behind us here, and right behind me. Is there any time of day that this doesn't cover? See, it's, it's an expansive time that we can and should be parenting our children. I believe the Lord's message is that parenting takes place in real life, in real time. Parents seek out opportunities to instruct and take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. In other words, you create opportunities, but you also take advantage of opportunities that present themselves in real life, in real time. It doesn't need, need to be an awkward thing, like stopping in the middle of the cereal aisle and saying, okay, lesson time, let's gather together, right? Come on, even we would be like, okay, I don't know what they're doing there, but that's kind of strange, right? Opportunities for instruction or reinforcing truths can take various forms. One thing we can do is we can ask what they think about a situation that comes up. You ever do that? Just ask your kids, what's your take on that? Now, you have to understand that there's different ages and, you know, you don't need to be asking your five-year-old, so who are you voting for? You know, it's just not, you know. One example of this might be the behavior of another child, right? Could be anything from something that they see on television to what they tell you about at school, or any number of things. Or you simply say, well, you know, hey, what do you think about that? Now, you can't just leave that alone, right? That's the opportunity to either either commend them for them seeing things properly or say, well, you know, maybe you need to think about this, right? You can also ask them how a certain situation should be handled. I didn't say... Ask your child to figure out a situation and take care of it. That's your responsibility. I didn't say that. But what if you actually asked your child, you know, we've got a situation here. What do you think we should do? They should, at some point, be able to start modeling how you handle things. And again, it's an opportunity to say, okay, Here's the standard. 
did your answer meet that standard? Or not meet that standard? Or did your answer meet that standard? Or even exceed it? And if a young person says, you know, well, I, I think we should do this, or I think that that's the solution there, or whatever, good. Or, well, but what about this? And you guide them up. You train them up to that point to meet the standard. Again, they have a standard. The question is, is it something that you've instilled in them, right? Another thing might be, you know, something as simple as you find it, you find yourself in a situation. Do you think that we should help that person? Right? Sometimes the answer can be an obvious yes, but it's an opportunity to have them affirm that and then to follow up with that. Take the time to positively affirm their obedience, good decisions, and displays of good character. This is another opportunity to teach and reinforce. When you see them doing the right thing, man, jump on that. Make sure that they understand that you're noticing the wrong stuff and you're addressing it, but you're also noticing the right stuff and addressing that. By the way, wrong stuff and right stuff, very, very deep theological terms there, okay? <laughs> you got me, that's it, okay? Let's talk plainly. Anyway, then along with that, let them participate in life with you to see how and why you make the decisions that you make. Is that always practical? No. Can you always do what we're talking about? No, sometimes situations don't dictate that. But sometimes you can revisit a situation as well, right? And the point is, you're doing this while you're living life in real time. Don't miss the opportunities. Don't miss the opportunities. So how do we make application of this? I want to bring this together in some practical ways. Now, we've already established that the two Greek words used in Ephesians 6.4 mean to discipline or train and to instruct. Going back to Colossians, we have discussed before that Paul progressively builds on what he shares throughout the book, right? He first greets them. He talks about some, about some things. He reinforces who Christ is. Uh, he talks about what he, what he wants to see, that, how he wants to see them grow. And then he goes into, hey, you know, there, there's some things that are, that are being said that you need to be warned about, that you need to be careful about. Then he talks to them about how they're supposed to change, right? So going back to Colossians, uh, I, I want us to kind of take a look through this book. I believe the Lord provides a standard that forms a wonderful foundation for parenting in Colossians. Now, I want to pause here and repeat something that I've said recently. Any adult who has any influence with, with children, grandchildren, church kids, etc., can apply these same principles. And of course, these principles can be applied to life. What we're actually doing is we're taking something that we've already applied to the majority of life and we're, we're shrinking it down and focusing it on parenting. And the reason why is this. That's exactly what Paul has done. He's taken the general that he's talked about and gone down to now specific relationships. So all we're doing is, is kind of retrofitting that and looking at the specific relationship and then applying the things that he's already built in. Does that make sense? 
So let's apply what we learned from Colossians to parenting while keeping in mind the full meaning of our key words there, right? Of train and admonish. Here we go. My desire for my children. Again, this is a foundation for parenting that we can apply from Colossians. Now, let's read this with, from the eyes, from the viewpoint of a parent, grandparent, etc. Colossians 1, 9-12. For this reason we also, since, we, since the day we heard of your faith, do not cease to pray for you. Now first, there's a great lesson right there. Paul prayed for the spiritual growth of his spiritual children. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Parents, is this something you desire for your kids? Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And that last part, frankly, you can't do anything about, ultimately. That's between your child and God. But the point is, the whole purpose behind this was that they know who the Lord is. Folks, help me out here. Is this not a fantastic foundation? This is something where, and I gave the title, my desire for my children. This is what I want for them. Next, God's method of accomplishing my desire. God's method of accomplishing my desire. So here's Paul saying, boy, my desire for you as God's uh, uh, regenerated children I want you to do this. I want you to know this. I want you to respond in this way, right? This is what I want you to be about. I want this settled in your mind. I want to train you up in this, right? Now here's God's method of accomplishing my desire. Therefore, put to death... Well, that's out of... That's out of that's not the right one. I apologize about that. Give me a second. I'll read it. I told you I had trouble with my slides this morning. Colossians 3, chapter 5. Let's see if I got the right one here. Okay, this is going to be fun. Uh, we'll get there, guys. Just hang out with me just for a minute. Yes, that's right where I was going. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. If we preach warning every man and teaching every man, does this sound familiar? What was the basis that Paul talked about for parenting? Training and admonishing. It's the same thing. 
Him we preach, warning and warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, complete in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to this working, which works in me mightily. Hey, let's not forget, parents, let's not forget, God is working in and through you. And this is what our desire should be. All right. So now let's get to the next part here, which you've already seen. <laughs> which is training and admonishing to put off. Now I'm going to backspace here. All right, good, good. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Help me out, parents. Is this something that you want in your parents, in your, in your child's life or not? Are you training them to put these things off? Yes. But it can't just be, here's the standard, right? I'm going to tell you all the different ways that you don't meet up to it. It's training them up to be able to meet that standard. It's no different for any and all of us in Christ. We have to work toward this too. Parents, you just simply are helping your, your kids do that. All right? And then we go on to the next part. Something got messed up here. We're having fun. Uh, training and admonishing. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. Will this work with your siblings? Right? <laughs> Where am I? But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Again, parents. It has to be something that is actively trained into your children. This is a model that we can see from the book of Colossians. And then lastly, having Christ first in all things. This is the goal of both modeling and encouraging Christ, that he be first in all things. And then we see that in a couple of verses here, that in all things he may have the preeminence, and then along with that, on 3.17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Amen. This is what the Lord wants for us. We read that in Deuteronomy. Now Paul is saying that to, to these fellow believers in Colossae. And this is a great model for us as parents. All these things that we want to see accomplished in our kids ultimately should point them to Jesus Christ and glorifying him. Parents, if you are living in this way, then this is how you will train and admonish. This is how you will instruct, correct, encourage, warn, reinforce, and even punish. In other words, you're going to live out what you want to, to train them in. Because we are all supposed to be living out what we have already learned through this book.
The pattern set for Colossians should also be the standard you set for what you desire to settle in your children's hearts and minds. Settling out some of it and settling in some of it, right? If we live out Christ-likeness as parents, including parenting in Christ-likeness, and at the same time instruct our children in Christ-likeness as we model it for them, then we will never look back in regret of our parenting, regardless of the outcome of our children. No regret parenting is following God's example. It just comes down to that. So folks, you have the blueprint right there. I truly believe that because that's the blueprint for spiritual growth. Now, I've been very careful to say this is a foundation. It's not going to answer whether or not they should, you know, become a, a scientist or, or go into trades, okay? It's not going to necessarily solve every issue that you have, but it's the foundation for all of those things. It's the ultimate goal of all of those things, right? So now I want to share, just in closing, a little secret um, that, that, that I have in all of this. And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. In spite of your child or children's whining and complaining about your rules, your children desperately want you to parent them well in every step of their lives. And I'm just going to be straight up. Sometimes parents shrink back because they're tired of fighting. Let me encourage you. The fight is worth it. Children, stop making your parents fight for your obedience. We've already covered, don't frustrate them. So if you've ruled that out, then yes, you got to help them get to that standard that they're supposed to be uh, living up to. But it's a cooperative. You need to be working together on this. Along with that, let me back up and say this first. Even in some of the roughest situations, what you hear people say later on in life, or sometimes what you even hear children admit, is that they really want their parents to tell them what to do. They might huff and stomp, but they want you to protect them. All right? If you set the standard, then they know it and you know it. And you don't have to, you don't have to veer from that. Now, one more thing that I want you to know here is that your young people really want you to be a part of their lives. I told a group of about 60 teens one time that I was going to ask them a question. And folks, I'm going to tell you that I pressed them a bit on this question. And young people, you can listen to this along with what I'm going to say, and you can kind of respond in your own heart right now. And maybe later on, you might even want to tell your parents what you thought. But I said, I want an honest answer. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you agree with my question. I want you to determine in your heart your answer before you raise your hand. Meaning, 
I don't want you to wait until you see what your friends do, right? And then, so I, I, I framed this very carefully. And this was, this was at the conclusion of a lesson. And then I asked them, would you rather have your phones and your game systems and all your toys and your stuff? Or would you rather have time with your parents? Raise your hand if you are willing to give up all of that to spend more quality time with your parents. Out of all those kids, every hand shot up immediately, except for maybe one or two. And I understood why those hands didn't go up. That's not what we think, is it? We think, oh, my, my kids, they want to have their own time. They want to do their own thing. And sometimes that might even be easier. Now, young people, you're going to have to answer that question for yourself. But I'm just telling you, I was talking to, you know, seventh graders up through uh, seniors in high school, and every one of them said, I would rather have my parents than all this stuff. I really just want them. So sometimes what you're hearing isn't really what their heart is saying. You know why? Young people, no offense, they're not mature yet. They need training. And it's just our nature to buck that. Anybody here ever buck God's training? <laughs> we call that sin. <laughs> Don't leave them alone. Don't leave them alone to figure everything out. And don't buy the awful, devilish lie that you have no right or responsibility to indoctrinate them. Folks, I, I, I admit it up front. I'm just telling you straight up. Somebody starts talking to me about, you know, well, you, you know, you, you're just indoctrinating people. Absolutely I am. Every time we meet, if I can help it. Well, parents, you're just trying to indoctrinate your kids. Yes, against you. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little excited there, but you get the idea. Folks, who's going to do the indoctrinating? Somebody's going to. So it's not just, hey, you're not measuring up. Very important. We don't need much instruction on that. There also has to be the, hey, you measured up. Good job. By the way, here's a little more responsibility to work on. Here's some more privileges. Here's a reward for measuring up. That is that holistic look at what training and admonishing has to do with folks. So now let's back up just one more time real quick and ask ourselves the question, does God do anything different to any of his children? What does he say if we don't measure up? I'm going to correct you. What does he say if we do measure up? I'm going to bless you. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not rocket science. But life can get in the way. Experiences can get in the way. 
I've said enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we all consider our obedience, first and foremost to you, I pray, Lord, that we will really see the entirety of Colossians and your word as a tutorial for us. I pray, Lord, that the young people in this room that we have talked to over the recent couple of weeks and obeying their parents and even honoring their parents as we consider all of us who still have parents with us, that we'll be obedient to your word. But Lord, in particular, I pray for our, our parents. And, and, I, and I pray for them first from the standpoint that we have a culture that, that frankly, and it's just not all of culture, but it, there's, it's there. There is an antagonistic culture toward parents. There are those who would espouse that those that you have given these children to have no right to train them, to give them what they need for life. And that just flies in the face of reason and, more importantly, biblical truth. So I pray, Lord, for our parents, even when it comes to that. It's just an uphill battle immediately because of the culture that we live in. But Father, I pray that they will uh, see through your word here that parenting needs to be intentional, both positively and negatively, that there needs to be a good balance and we need to be living out what we're teaching. Lord, again, as we just conclude, may we be reminded that every one of us have a standard to live up to. And I pray, Father, that we will help one another, encourage one another to live up to that, to even exceed that basic standard, to thrive in Christ, ultimately, for the glory of Jesus. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.